this week we're continuing on in the series that you all have been, that you have underway now for some time, studying the minor prophets and how God's Word spoke through what are called the minor prophets. In other words, those prophets outside of the big five who have shorter books. So this week uh, we're on Habakkuk, and if you're following along in a print Bible, uh, usually the easiest way to find Habakkuk is to start at Matthew and start working your way backwards, but not too many pages at a time because the minor prophets are really short, and indeed Habakkuk is only uh, three chapters. Or if you're following along and you like to follow along and read the text on a device, you're already there. You found it that quickly. Listen now to God's Word from Habakkuk. I'm reading uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you... Do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, The law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord, this word, will endure forever. Would you bow with me? Lord, I ask that in this wonderful gathering of worship. May the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my lips be acceptable in these next few moments in your sight. Amen. Well, the book of Habakkuk shows us that God's justice, the Lord's justice, is often beyond our understanding, but his sovereignty never is. This is a book of lament. It's not something, laments are something that we don't usually spend a lot of time reading or studying, and they even less frequently find their way up usually next to our inspirational verses on the refrigerator. Because laments are about raw emotion. They're about that deep feeling you have that even sort of scares you when you feel it and you express it and it comes out and the noises you make kind of even surprise yourself. It's that profound depth of lament. The context for this book is that Israel... Judah, to be specific, the southern kingdom of Israel, is starting the beginning of the end. See, it's gone through a series of wicked kings who not only just kind of 
took off their eye off the ball or weren't as good as they could be, but actively embraced evil. Habakkuk, this prophet, who never addresses Israel as Israel, as some of the prophets do, and say, Hear, O Israel, I have a message for everybody to listen to. This book is unique in that it's a discourse. It's a real-time exchange of back and forth between Habakkuk, the prophet, who we don't hear about or see anyplace else in Scripture, and God. It's a real-time lament on Habakkuk's part and a real-time response on the Lord's part, and it's real-time adjustment. So it kind of feels like almost a diary. If you had one or you knew somebody who had one in middle school, it was, it was that immediate. It was that breaking news. It was that back and forth. It was, today Susie said I'd, she'd be my girlfriend, and at lunch she didn't want to sit with me. <laughs> Dear diary, I'm going through my range of emotions. I'm going through every deep thought. The facts on the ground are changing all the time. And it, this is the context of Habakkuk, the evil kings who did unspeakable things. They set, up, uh, they set up sacrifices of their children to the god Moloch and encouraged people to do that, thinking that that would help protect them from the elements and increase fertility. They set up cults of prostitution related to the temple and embraced that as a way of saving themselves and seeing world events and personal events unfold to their liking. The King Josiah came along, and this was the same background as Habakkuk, and for a brief period of time offset that because the bad kings kind of bottomed out at Manasseh, and then came Josiah. But then when Josiah was killed in battle against the Egyptians, there were just a couple of other bad kings who were his sons. And then it was really the end for then Jerusalem, as Habakkuk predicted, was sacked and destroyed by the Babylonians. So he not only had this ongoing diary exchange with the Lord and kept it for us to look in on, and provides the perfect example of how we can interact with God ourselves. When we are upset and confused because this is the God whom we know is our covenant Father, who's adopted us, who saved us, who's rescued us, and we believe He is who He says He is, so how could He tolerate evil? How could individuals be unkind or cruel or unthinking to each other? or in the more dramatic events then and now, unfortunately? How could nations or groups of people be cruel to each other in ways that we can't think if God is who he says he is? And this creates this deep pain in us. And this is what a lament is. We can complain anytime to perfect strangers, and we do fairly often, you know, oh boy, I wish the rain would let up today. Or we can commiserate with other people. It's like, oh, man, when are the Browns going to get it together? It's, is it next year yet? So complaining and commiserating has its place. But lamenting 
you only do with people you know really well, who you feel like will get what you're doing and you're not afraid to let them see you in that state of lament. Most people we don't necessarily expect a lot out of, but the people we know, that's who we lament. How could you have done that to me after I helped you so much at work and helped you be successful at work? How could you have stabbed me in the back at work like that? Or how could you, who's a member of my family, who raised me up in the church, be acting that like that now? Or how could I, who know better, go through a period of time where the word is dead or dull to me, and I'm not feeling a need for fellowship, I'm not seeking out God's word, I'm not living a regenerate life. How could that happen? I know I'm chosen, and this makes me mourn, this makes me lament and ask God. And specifically in Habakkuk, when I see violence and we see those things, we call out to God because he's the one who we know the best. And that's exactly what Habakkuk's doing in rather direct language. How long, Lord, must I call for help? How? How? How is the word of lament? How is the word in the book of Lamentations? The book of Lamentations is really called in Hebrew, how? In that sense, the question is, how desolate is Jerusalem? Speaking to that period of time right after Habakkuk's writing, when Jerusalem has been laid desolate, how could the city where I was just going across the street to the market, I was just going down the street to talk to my friend, I was just getting ready to get married, how could that all be gone? How? How long is what Habakkuk wonders. How long should I be telling people, our God is a God of mercy and justice, but that mercy and justice isn't evident because of what he's, God is apparently tolerating right before me? How can that be? Jesus, when he talks and he's working in his prophetic vocation and operating in his prophetic vocation, in Matthew laments over Jerusalem, just as Habakkuk is here. And Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, how many times, or how many, how often have I longed to gather you, Jerusalem, as a hen gathers her chicks and protect you, but you would not. See, our fallenness is what we've got to work with. And that means that we'll be disappointing and grieving other people and even even ourselves. So part of what we lament is the state of the world and that God won't instantly intervene because we want that instant intervention. That's why that concept right now of the sort of new age concept is popular, and you can hear it a couple times a day about somebody got karma, because that's how we want 
it fits this idea that we have as people that if I experience an injustice or see something that seems to me bad, that person should be straightened out on the spot, exactly the way I think they should be, put in their place, get their comeuppance. And it should happen exactly the way that I think it should happen. Heaven forbid, we don't have that kind of power, and there's no such thing as karma. Apart from God's active leadership and active governance and sovereignty over the world, there is no regulating principle in, in life. Apart from God, who is life himself. And that's why when we think in terms of wanting karma or instant success, in terms of our oppressors feeling the same pain we do and coming to a realization on the spot that, oh, they've been hurting me that much and they finally get it and now they're changed. That's not how God works because he's sovereign, because he's working with what is and who are part of a fallen creation. So the same cycle that Habakkuk is observing around him and we observe around ourselves today are evil individuals, you could always argue about to what degree, who make up evil nations, who constantly attack and seek retribution against one another. And God, for His purposes, is allowing us to live in our fallenness. Because if He were to remove all of that right away, like we think that we want Him to, we'd also be asking Him to remove us. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, haven't we? So this is how God works with people, and this is how he answers Habakkuk. The outline of the book is simple. It's three chapters. Habakkuk asks a question, makes his lament, just like the one we read part of. God answers. Habakkuk makes another lament. God answers. And then Habakkuk ends up giving praise. Because Habakkuk realizes that at the end of this intense journal exchange with God, he realizes, as so we do now too, who study Scripture, that God's justice is often beyond our understanding, but His sovereignty never is. Looking further at the text, the first way that, in this very short letter, the way that the Lord answers Habakkuk is in verse 5, in response to the first lament that we read. And he tells Habakkuk, I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians. Stepping out of Scripture for a second, this is in response to Habakkuk's earnest lament that God should do something about all the evil around. 
I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings. They scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on, guilty people whose own strength is their God. That's not the response Habakkuk was hoping for. He set back. And so his response and his lament next to God is, wait, did I hear my order clearly? O sovereign God. And God resets Habakkuk and establishes the Lord's own sovereignty and says, that's, I'm not a response you design or dial in that way, prophet Habakkuk. And he says that to us because Habakkuk next says, wait, I was complaining about you straightening out all these violent people around me, including the leaders of Judah and the the Assyrians who had been oppressing us. And the Lord says, well, I'm going to take care of them by bringing in a a group that's arguably more evil to take care of the evil people you were complaining about. This is shocking to him and to us, but it, it speaks to the Lord's sovereignty over all things. He will exercise justice over all nations, regardless of our varying degrees of sinfulness within that nation. The Lord will exercise His justice on all of them in His time. And that's why Habakkuk, though, in his confusion says, Lord, wait, are you not from everlasting? And that's Habakkuk's way of saying, God, wait, you can do everything right now. Make it perfect right now. That's not the timing that God wants. So this leads him into asking God, why would he bring in these more wicked people? And here's what the Lord responds. One, verse 112, or I beg your pardon, in 2.1, after, after God's response, chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch, meaning, okay, I will listen to God, your response of my latest lament. This is the core of lamentation. It's a confusing topic, how to figure out in the face of God's timing and how we feel about things, how do we sort that out? 
I, have, I frequently have the experience of having people talk to me saying, you know, my beliefs have really been challenged because I see these things, I feel these things, and truly, this relationship between beliefs and feelings and thoughts is really complex. One way that I've come to look at it comes from an unlikely source, a secular author writing for a secular audience who talks about the topic of regret. And regret is another way of saying lament or repent, as we would in our faith-oriented language. And this, he talks about how Daniel Pink, in his book, The Power of Regret, talks about there are three different ways to deal with feelings around regret, or the feelings of upset, or the feelings of something's not right. This is an injustice. There are three ways to do that. The first two are an illusion. The first one is that feelings are to be forgotten, says Daniel Pink, when he's pointing out the first of these illusions. Feelings are be, to be forgotten. And we've all heard that or taught that or lived that at certain times. I don't have any regrets. We just have to power through this. Uh, let's set the feelings aside and look at the data. That, of course, doesn't work because things that get paved over or stashed in the basement or in the attic have a way of oozing out different ways that we don't expect, don't they? The second part, the second way of looking at feelings is that feelings are for feelings and that all that matters are for feelings. And this is the counterbalance of the first model of don't express any, of, of don't express any feelings is the second mistake is to elevate every feeling we have to every to the highest level and worship that. So when people say something along the lines of, well, you can follow scripture, but I really just follow my heart. That's what I'm talking about. That's also an illusion because we end up having to then compel others to observe and somehow pay homage to our feelings. And of course, that doesn't work out with each of us trying to do that to the other. The third way to deal with feelings as they relate to beliefs and thoughts that Pink points out is that feelings lead to thought and thought leads to action. That's why he said to a secular audience currently exactly what Scripture has been telling us about the importance of lamenting. That's why lamentations is an important part of worship. It's an important form of worship. And we often think, well, that doesn't sound like a very good worship because I want to feel uplifted when I worship. I only want to think good thoughts. But the Bible is as grounded in reality as we could ever want it to be, and at the same time, affirms what is ultimately uplifting is that we belong to God in life and death. We are His and He is ours. Through Jesus Christ, we are lifted up and we will be lifted up on the last day. And this is what helps us reconcile our feelings. So as C.S. Lewis has said in a couple of different forms, oftentimes when people say or think, I, my beliefs have shifted, 
I don't think I really believe that anymore. What's really happening is our feelings of the moment are swirling around our beliefs. And the beliefs are things we've thought about and acted upon in the past, and that hasn't changed. So my dear friends, when you are in this period of lament, I would commend to you, don't bury your feelings. Don't make your feelings God. But lament. Lament to God. How could you let this happen? And he will answer you. He can handle it, and he will direct you. The way that God reassures Habakkuk in this instance is he lays out five woes, and he says, okay, well, here's what's going to happen to the Babylonians, because they're also going to receive justice. And he lists these five woes that we won't take the time to look at this morning. And he follows this woe formula of lamentations within the Bible. Jesus says the same thing right before he says the verse that I quoted in Matthew You'll remember in Matthew, right before he says, how often would I have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks? He spends a very lengthy sequence, Jesus does in Matthew 27, talking about, or 25 rather, woe to you, pre, woe to you scribes and Pharisees. And he goes through seven different woes of, to them. And this is our reassurance that... God will deal with all the nations, and we are included in that. We will see his justice. And so he goes on through these woes to talk about, here's what the Babylonians do wrong, here's what's evil about them, and here's how I'm going to fix it. In the process of doing that, Habakkuk proclaims, the righteous shall live by faith. And there's a reason you hear that three other times in the New Testament, because it resonates. The righteous shall live by faith. We're not satisfied the way we want to be in the way we want to be on the schedule we want to be in this life. And that causes us to lament. Because we say, God, if you're who you say you are, this should happen right now. Anybody out there glad for unanswered prayers? Yeah, me too. God's justice is often beyond our understanding, but His sovereignty never is. So at the end of Habakkuk, the book ends by having the prophet say in chapter 3, a song. We can't exactly tell what the music is, but you can tell it's a, it's a rousing and heartfelt hymn. But he recalls what God has done for him in the past. He goes back to the belief that he had. He has his feelings, but he goes back to the belief that he had. And his feelings are real, and he feels them, and he registers them, and he says them, but he doesn't get stuck in them. And he goes back to his belief and his recollection that he heard that God had rescued the Israelites from the Egyptians, and he will save again, allowing him and us as the righteous through Jesus to live by 
faith. The word itself, Habakkuk, has to do with embrace. I want to embrace this message, and my hope is that you'll embrace it too. As you're thinking through your laments, your disappointments, take them to God in the biblical, in the biblical model. Certain that God's sovereignty will vindicate you according to his plan and according to his time. Will you embrace that message from Habakkuk with me today? Let it be so for you today and for me and for always. Amen.